Titus 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of God, apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world begin. But hath in due times manifested his word through the preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. We're taking a look at spiritual leadership, I believe, ought to be a regular subject that we address as we seek to build spiritual leaders in our youth group, many in our homes, and many in our church, and on every front. And I want you to observe these words tonight, Paul instructing Titus. We know Titus was one of his primary helpers, one of these men that he had invested so much in that now is bringing him great joy because with confidence he's assigning him. He was a huge help there at the church of Corinth. And now he's going to send him to this island, to Crete. He said, I want you to set in order. And I want you to focus on those words tonight because so much of spiritual leadership hinges on this duty of setting things in order. Uh, very well stated, something that we can observe in everyday life. I believe this is required in all leadership, spiritual or outside of the spiritual realm, whether you have a business, uh, your home life, whatever it is, God wants you to keep things in order and that which is out of order, to set it in order. Look at verse 12, because there's a quick description given of uh, the people here in Crete. And it's not a... Uh, pleasant one. This was written in eternal scripture. Verse 12, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Can you imagine if someone is going to describe a certain group of people that these are the words coming out of their mouths? He said, listen, this was one of their own that said this about themselves. Uh, They are always liars, evil bees, slow bellies. And Paul is addressing the the group of Christians here saying some of this is actually crept into the church. Now, how many realize when God saved your soul, he didn't save your flesh? That happens. You're right on to heaven. And some of that which you have from the old life we carry into the new life. Yes, we're supposed to be new creatures, but sometimes we slow down the process. We hit the brakes on the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And regrettably, there are things that we bring uh, uh, to God's house because we haven't allowed the Holy Spirit of God to deal with those sins, with those issues in our lives. And uh, lying should not be a part of our lives. I hope, parents, that you stress constantly. We had a few rules in our house, but one of the top three rules, you tell the truth. You just speak the truth, doesn't matter what the circumstance or what the consequence, you tell the truth every time, all the time, no exceptions. And these people had grown up in a culture where people were just naturally liars and sounds a lot like the United States of America where a lie is 
much more acceptable, much more common than truth. Truth is despised. Uh, lying is loved. And he said, always liars. Here's the problem with lying. It leads to a life of duplicity. And young people, that's the last thing you want to become. The most dangerous thing you can become as an adult is a duplicious person. People need to be able to take what you do and say and the way you act at face value. That confidence is built upon honesty, not perfection. You say, well, people are so demanding. No, it's amazing how forgiving people are. They truly are forgiving if you're honest, if you're connected to truth. And young people, you need to, you need to grow up building the kind of confidence in those around you, that you are a transparent person. There's no deceit. There's no lying. There's no duplicity. You're not one person in a certain environment and a totally different person in a different environment. People need to know when they ask you a question, they're getting the truth the first time. Not hidden truth. Not a sliver of the truth on which you can hang a lie, but rather the whole truth. It ought to be said of every born-again child of God. They always tell the truth, not that these are always liars. Evil beasts, these are people that are given over to their passions. You know what beasts do? No rules. They act like an animal. You know what we're seeing in American society? Our youth has been taught in our public school system that they are animals, so they're acting like animals. If you came from monkeys, you might as well act like one. And they are truly being taught to act like beasts, passions that are out of control, mouths that are out of control, disrespect for authority, a hatred for rules. And uh, so this is not unique. What was being said at the creations is not unique to a certain culture or society. Slow bellies, people giving over to gluttony. You know, I used to wonder... In my youth and early ministry, preaching about the end times, and that that phrase that when he defines the end times and describes them, he says they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And, and of all the ways to describe the end days, the last times, you would think that there'd be a whole lot more to it, and the description would be horrific. But you know what days we're living in. People are indulging themselves constantly. We saw yesterday uh, a a restaurant and the low end price was $250 to $750 per couple. I don't know how you can enjoy a meal that costs that much to eat. I don't know if there's any food prepared in any way on the planet that'd be worth spending $250 on. Jeremy can make you a $20 steak that tastes like a $50 piece of deliciousness. I would forego. Pay your rent. (laughs) I mean, that's enough to pay your mortgage. Unbelievable. Uh, But he said these people are gluttons. And if we're not careful, be careful. Uh, In American culture, food is so accessible and so plenty of steel. We talk about the extremely high prices. It doesn't look like anyone here in here outside of Raul is suffering starvation. I know I'm not. A lot of excess on these bones. Amen? But he said, 
here's what I need you to do, Titus. You're going to have to go address these things and these characteristics in the culture. It now affected the church, infected the church. And as a born again child of God, we shouldn't be known for indulgences. And young people, let me help you out. It, that's not just food. It, it can be entertainment. You shouldn't be known as the person that's always on YouTube. You shouldn't be known as the person that, uh, trying to get on social media. You shouldn't be known as the person that's always has to be watching a movie. You, sh- you shouldn't be known as that person. If you're known for anything, you ought to be for loving God and living for God and doing right. You shouldn't be known as a fashion bunny. You've got to have the latest style, modest, but the latest styles. It's almost a compliment now. Someone tells me, Pastor, that ties out of style. Praise God. When I've gotten to the place in life, I don't care anymore. I really don't. Seeing this world in the fashion of this world, I almost want to be out of style. Now, not like the Baptist deacon, six inch tight, six inches wide, six inches long. You know, that, that's not my goal. I don't want to be that out of style. Amen. But I certainly don't want to be trendy. I, I don't want to be known as that person who's uh, given over to their fleshly desires. And it's not, we think of that as a, a sexual sin or pornography or fornication or adultery or homosexuality. But here's what we don't understand. It, it doesn't have to be ungodly per se, but because it's a passion that is constantly pursued to the point of abandoning godly pursuits, then it's a problem. And he said, Titus, I want you to go and put things in order. And here's what happens when you put things in order. You've got to be confrontational. Spiritual leadership demands spiritual confrontation. And dads, be careful, because if you by nature do not have a confrontational personality, it's easy, that that means opposites attract, most likely your wife has a confrontational personality. That is not her duty to fulfill your duty and step into your role. You need to put on your man pants. Because sooner or later, if you have kids, they're going to have to be confronted. And we're not talking about 18. We're talking about all the way up to 18. There are going to be things that they try to introduce in their, your home, their lives. And you're going to have to hit the brake and say, no, that's not happening. Verse 10, look what he says. There are many unruly. These are people out of order. They're vain talkers. That's in the church. We're talking about people in the church. That's what he's addressing. Deceivers. Whose mouths must be what? Now, now these are people that just went around creating problems, acting spiritual, teaching doctrine that was not biblical. And Paul said, I'm sending you to put things in order in order to set them in order. Their mouths must be stopped. You're going to have to confront them for what they're doing. That's spiritual leadership. And now, we have preachers, they need to turn in their man card. They need to vacate the pulpit. Uh, Literally, they've been emasculated. They have been neutered. They have been so far distant from the Word of God because of the panic that is created by having to take a stand 
for what is right and what is truth. And as this world veers further and further from truth, the pressure is on the man of God. And instead of being appropriate, they simply cower. They self-silence. They self-filter. How many notice the word of God is not always filtered? There's an appropriate way to preach the word of God. But if you cannot stand up with a backbone and preach exactly what the word of God says without avoiding certain texts, there's no reason for you to be in a pulpit. Look what it says, verse 13. This witness is true. Wherefore, here's what he's sending Titus to do. What's it say? Rebuke them sharply. Now, this will make even some of your best members angry. When they're in time, no pastor wants to do it. But occasionally, sin has to be rebuked sharply. But I believe in being appropriate. I believe in being biblical. I believe in being patient and kind and meek. But there are times when specific sin has to be addressed in a specific manner. And he's sending Titus with this command. When you get there, Titus, you better be spiritually prepared because there are people there who are doing the wrong thing, speaking the wrong thing, acting in the wrong way. And you're going to have to, as a leader, confront that appropriately and set things in order. Now, how was that going to happen? Verse 3. But he had in due times manifested his word through what? Which is committed unto me. Now, part of that is dealt with through the preaching of the word of God. There was a day when preaching was coming. When I grew up, how many remember the 70s and 80s when preachers actually got up and thundered the word of God? I mean, it's just everybody yelled. Everybody lifted up their voice like a trumpet. And they preached. I know there were some messages that were out of context, but they just grabbed a verse, sometimes out of context, and preached the devil out of everyone. And guess what? Our churches had less sin, more saints, better living, better leadership. Now we're in a generation that's heaped to themselves, teachers, have an itch in ears. We prefer the information. Uh, it's more about the music and the praise teams. And the shorter the service and the less fire in the pulpit, the happier the congregation. Said so, Titus, if, if you're going to get there and set things in order, it's going to start with the preaching. The principles of the word of God puts our lives in order. You know what discipleship is for the new believer? Setting his life in order because Satan puts things out of order. Any leadership, I don't care if it's a Sunday school class or a junior church or a college ministry or you in your home or music, you know, you know what Robert brings to acquire? Order. Everybody finding their part, finding their pitch, staying on tune. Are you a soprano? Are you an alto? Are you a tenor? Are you a bass? Do you sing all four parts at once? Go sit with Gene. We don't need that kind of talent. No, it's putting things... You know, you know what a nursery worker is doing? Keeping things in order. You know what Miss Beth's life is about? Setting things in order. And everywhere I go, preacher talked about the hassle of the nursery. And I can't even join the conversation. 
I'm not even qualified. They asked me. I said, I'm not even qualified. I don't know what happens in our nursery. I don't hear about it. Amen. Amen. You know why? Someone is setting things in order. And it's amazing how our flesh hates order. And you know what the hatred is in society towards authority? It's actually a hatred for order because God is a God of order. And he sends spiritual leadership to set things in order. Here's what happens. Verse 5. For this cause left I thee, Titus and Crete, that thou should have set in order the things that are wanting. And what? Ordain elders in every city. As I had appointed thee, he said, I want you to choose men, pick men, anoint men, instruct men, place men that have the same mindset of setting things in order. Because the natural tendency of human nature is for disorder. And you've got to go in kindly and carefully, position people and help people and lead people and feed people and guide people. But this is about order. Now, we don't idolize order. How many understand that? I've been accused of being a perfectionist. If you've seen my children, you know that's not true. We don't, we don't worship order, but yes, we do understand that God is a God of order and our duty is to help put things into order. You also do that, verse 7 of chapter 2, look what it says. In all things, showing thyself a what? A pattern of good works. You know how we put things in order? Through setting an example. Parents, when your life is ordered, it's a whole lot easier for the children to put their life in order. When a teacher is setting order in the class, it's a whole lot easier. When, when you walk into a classroom and there's disorder, it starts at the top. And if there's no leadership setting the example of order, it's amazing how many things we let in life get out of order and it becomes a habit. Literally, it steamrolls the next thing you know. Our closet's out of order. Our drawers are out of order. Our rooms are out of order. Our kitchen's out of order. Our car's out of order. Our trunk's out of order. You say, what, Pastor? You think our trunk ought to be in order? Yes. I think everything is a revelation of our character. And real leadership has things set in order. I mean, you've been out of someone's shed. It's danger. They need to put on the front door. Danger zone. How many of you are smart enough when you open a shed door normally, you, you step back? Right? You don't want a rake to hit you in the head, a gas can to blow up, a tortoise to jump out of the <laughs> cage, I, whatever they got going in there, because it's all bad news. Right? Suitcase they didn't pack from last year's missions trip. I believe even a shed ought to be in order. You know why, man, and I, good friends, we think alike, we act alike. Man is a man of order, and I could. Anetta, she is a woman of order. It doesn't matter if it's their church, their personal life, their vehicles. But it, Matt in Mexico keeps his car in order. Now, that's tough to you. If you've ever been where they live, you drive into the city, and within five minutes, your car is contaminated. You just literally. You just, <laughs> somehow they keep all of that in order because it's a philosophy, and leadership is setting things in order. You know, I, I don't do this normally. I'm going to do it tonight because there's a pattern here 
in, in these verses, I want you to see these words because it's all the same word translated three different ways. Temperate, sober, and discreet. But it's all about order in the personal lives. Look what it says in one verse eight. A lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. What's the next word? Sober. Your emotions, your physical being is in order. Look what it says. That, that's not dealing with just not being drunk. That's literally a state of being, a state of mind where you are in order. Look what it says. Chapter 2, verse 2. That the aged men be sober, grave. What's the next word? Same exact root word. Translated temperate, sober. This is someone who has their emotions under control despite the circumstances, not controlled by the circumstances, temperate. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 4. What are the women supposed to do? Teach the young women to be sober, to have themselves in order. Look what it says in verse 5. The translation here is discreet, to be discreet. Same word. Sober, temperate, discreet. You know what he's doing? Paul is reiterating the same verb, noun, instruction over and over. You teach them to be sober. They're supposed to be sober. They should be temperate. They should be discreet. Although translated three different ways, same word. They need to get themselves in order. And you've got to help teach them to get themselves in in order. Verse 6. Young men, likewise exhort yourself to be. Same word. Translated sober-minded. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust. What's the opposite of ungodliness, worldly lust? Putting yourself in order that we should what? Live soberly. Now, this is God telling Titus by way of Paul, his mentor and spiritual leader, saying, your job is to put things in order. Here is the transfer of leadership. You know when your young people have understood leadership? When they know how to keep things in order. Go, go look under the bed. Go open the closet. Yeah. College students. I tell college students all the time. Don't ask me to ride with you. Not interested. I've seen your car. There's something wrong there. Pastor, you're getting too, too specific now. Oh, no, 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 no. This is all encompassing. When our spiritual life is in order and we're showing a maturity, you know what we're doing? We're not only keeping ourselves in order, but we're teaching others how to get themselves put in order. How many of you have ever noticed God's a God of order? I'm not a scientist, but here's what I've noticed about science. It doesn't matter if it's the placement of the planets, the distance of the sun from the earth, the moon from the earth, the rotation of the earth on its axis, the speed of light, the human body, it, it doesn't matter. Joints, cartilage, molecules, it doesn't matter what it is. It is about God is a God of order. And you know why everything that God makes functions properly? You've heard about AI and man's attempt to duplicate human life and all that's been invested. And God said, let there be light. And let there be fish and fowl. And by the way, Adam, I'm going to breathe in your nostrils the breath of life. And that's how simplistic he is in the creation of order. But when he does it, 
The eyes function, the heart functions, the lung. You know man didn't come up with that. Can you imagine the monster that would have been created halfway worked for about half a minute, but not God. Everything that he does is, and then you look at the Bible and you, his people and the laws and the moral law and the civil law and even the ceremonial law, everything that he did, they might've been able to question there in the desert, but looking back, you see in hindsight that a God of order said, I want to help you guys from self-destruction while you're out here in this wilderness and to keep you from diseases and to keep you from messed up marriages and to keep you from self-destruction, I'm going to set things in order. And that's leadership. Here's what he told Titus. Now, if you, if you look at Satan, guess what? He's the exact opposite. Everything Satan does is about disorder. He's in heaven, perfect circumstance. Cherub. And one day he decides, I'm, I want to get out of order. Took a third of the angels. Now, he's so good that Adam and Eve are living in a perfect circumstance. The Garden of Eden... God has everything, and I mean everything. Their life couldn't be more perfect. This is paradise. And Satan comes down and said, no, this, this, isn't, this isn't great. Great is disorder, not order. So let's add some disorder to this. Let's disobey the one command that you've been given. And then they got to suffer all the consequences. Up to this day, we're still suffering the consequences of the disorder that Satan brought. And a spiritual leader teaches that, gets people to understand that. And here's what Satan wants to do. He wants to bring disorder to the church. He wants to bring disorder to the home. He wants to bring disorder to the school. And Pastor Bob, you, you are placed in your position to bring order, to set things in order because by nature you gather youth together and there will be disorder. So there's rules in place. There are demerits. You know, you know the accumulation of demerits are? It's a reflection of your natural tendency towards disorder. If that weren't the case, no principle would be needed. No teacher would be demanded. But every day your presence is required to reset. I thought you did that yesterday. You've been busy doing this for 30 years. You come back every day to do the same job of setting an order, that which tends to get into disorder. Whatever job you have as a mother in the home. I'm talking about the simplistic, the most simplistic duties. What, what happens if you don't set your fridge in order? Some of you haven't. You just don't open the lid on the container in the back. You know those cans where things pop out and scare you? That's, that's what that food's going to do after 10 months in hibernation. Right? Because it tends to go from order to disorder. And you've got to wake up every day and say, I'm going to set this back in order. How many of you put your... Children in order today, and you'll wake up tomorrow, and guess what? Start all over again. Put them back in order. And you walk into the room, and it was orderly yesterday at some point, possibly. (laughs) Certainly not now. The bed's in disarray, and the bathroom's in disarray. And How did you get toothpaste that high in the mirror when you are two foot six? That doesn't make sense. I mean, did you, like, step on it? Did you... How is that possible? How, how do I have to do this much laundry every week? I'm sending you to Ecuador and teach you how to live off one pair of clothes a week because it's like I'm washing 10 pair. You know what you got to do? Set things in order. 
Here's what he's doing, spiritually speaking. Titus, once you go there, you're going to have to be confrontational. You've got to understand that Satan has brought disorder to the church. You're going to have to confront that. And here's what I believe. I truly believe disorder is an attack on the very character of God. And here's my job as a pastor. It's not just Sundays and Wednesdays. It's every day of the week. Address disorder. And it's not pleasant. There are other things I prefer to do. You know what preaching is? It's establishing the order of the Word of God in our lives, a pattern that we're supposed to follow. And it doesn't matter if it's in the school or the college, the Sunday school, whatever ministry we have, if a pastor is not regularly stepping in and taking a look, big picture, and viewing what is taking place, things will become disorderly. I appreciate having members like Brother Fred. When you've been in the military that long and you've ordered people and you've followed orders, your mind functions that way. Titus, I'm sending you to set things in order and it's not going to be pleasant. What did Paul say? Let all things be what? Done decently and in order. Now we finally get over to the message. Verse 5, you need to put things in order. Verse 6, where does the order start? If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having children not accused of disorder, of riot, or unruly. Establishing order, setting order for the spiritual leader always starts in the home. We, we've messed things up among independent Baptists over the past 20 years. And we've acted like, well, if your home falls apart for the sake of Christ, so be it. No, 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 no. Spiritual leadership starts in the home. It's not, this is God's work and the home is secondary. No, God says, if it can or doesn't happen in the home, is an impossibility in my house. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 3, 4. Speaking of the requirements of leadership in the church. Verse 4, one that what? Ruleth well his own house. He's put his house in order. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Can it be any more clear than that? Where does spiritual leadership start? Titus, I'm sending you to put things in order, but order starts in the house of God. There's no reason to choose spiritual leadership in the church if they're not showing spiritual leadership in the home. Not perfection. Children that are obedient. Now I'm talking about those in the home. You cannot determine what a grown adult does. You hope and pray they live for God their whole lives. Amen? While they're in your home, if they've not been taught obedience, now it goes beyond obedience. How many understand you should hear? I'll understand the difference between submission and obedience. And he talks about subjection, submission. A wife that's in order. Her behavior's in order. Her spirit's in order. Her conduct is in order. Her testimony is in order. Otherwise, you're not qualified for spiritual leadership. Church, we're looking at spiritual leadership here for a few services. And here's what the basis of spiritual leadership is. Setting things in order. Pastors should be able to read the principles, preach principles from the pulpit. It's the duty of the man of that house, the spiritual leader of that house, to keep his house in spiritual order. Pastor, what do I do with this woman? I don't know. That's not my job. It's your choice. That's your job. 
What do I do with these kids? Become the spiritual leader and get them in spiritual order. Amen? Because you may have them in the spiritual order today, and it may be pretty smooth selling for a couple weeks, maybe. But otherwise, it's going to be a battle. Dealing with human nature. Dealing with carnal flesh. You're dealing with fallen man. You need to establish... We're talking about setting things in order in an orderly fashion, not mean-spirited, not angry, not out of control. How many of you ever saw that when you were kids? Parent that grabs closest thing at hand, hanger, broomstick, shoe. In setting order, I'm talking about you being in order. It doesn't set an order if you've got to yell and scream and lift your voice and say mean things and attack the character of that child. That's not setting things in order. That's doing the opposite. That's adding to the disorder. Putting things in order is done. It's motivated by love. It's following biblical principle. It's doing things appropriately at the right time, taking the right steps. How many of you understand that? I'm taking that for granted. But it starts in the home. And here's what happens. I'm not going to preach on this tonight, but I'm going to start the thought for you to meditate on for the next service. Look what it says. You put things in order, verse 6. If any be what? Blameless. Where is that talking about? What is that talking about? Titus 1, 6. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, hang faithful children, not accused of right and unruly. Blameless. Here's a disqualifier. I've had people ask me recently, so pastor, what disqualifies someone from leadership. Well, leadership is based on respect. You can't follow someone you don't respect. So whatever a leader does that ruins the respect of the followers means he's disqualified. For every church, it's uniquely different. How many understand that? You look at some pastors, I can't believe they did that, and the church follows them. They haven't lost the respect. And others, when Kim and I were in college, we had a friend in college, and the, the pastor had a bad day before salvation, had the habit of smoking, got saved, stopped smoking, hadn't had to smoke since he got saved. Had a bad day, got depressed, drove to a neighboring city, walked in 7-Eleven, bought a pack of cigarettes, bought a lighter, lit up, walked out the door. When he opened the door, guess who was standing there? One of his deacons. Ministry over. Is smoking a disqualifier? I, I preach against smoking because your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. How many understand that? But here's the problem. Whatever you do, now when we talk about blameless, let's use an example here. Each one of these represent a different level of blame. I need someone strong. Jake, come here. Jake Strong. So this is, this is ministry. You're not perfect, but you're supposed to be on a certain level. Blameless means, how many recognize Dozens of times over the past 14 years, uh, your pastor is not perfect. Don't glad to be perfect. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better leader. Yeah. Matt's pretty close to perfect, according to his mother. <laughs> Netta has a different story to tell. Here's what happens. Here's the problem. Is a leader, Jake in the hall, Jake, Jake is a leader in the church, graduated from Bible college, works with the youth. But let's just say Jake decides that it's okay to be inappropriate with a young lady and uh, send her texts. Now, is that blameless? Does that disqualify him? He very possibly could, depending on the nature of the text, but here's what he's doing. You know what this did? He's no longer 
totally blameless. Was there fornication? No. Was there even innuendo? No. But what's it do to his followers? Hurts his respect. Now, besides the text, he sent Christmas cards, and some of them were too personal. Did he commit fornication? No. But when we're talking about respect, there are certain things that now you're in leadership that are required of leadership, and there shouldn't be anything here because you're on a level that demands you act in a way that maintains people's respect. And when you do things that you minimize, your blameless is going the wrong way. And now he sends one of the young ladies a gift, a personal gift, a necklace. Do you guys understand? Is this fornication? And next step would be there, there's some physical touching going on. Let me, let me ask you this. Does fornication, does that disqualify you from the ministry? Yes. How can you be blameless? Let me ask you this. Are any of these things, can you, can you point to a verse and say disqualified? can't point to a verse, but what happens? Blameless now is changing. And for every person in here, and especially depending on your relationship with Jake, because those of you that are friends with Jake, well, you know, Jake told me, and here's what Jake said, and Jake has a pure heart. There are no evil intentions. And I still love him, and I still respect him, and I think we ought to follow him. But someone over here that never liked Jake anyways. <laughs> Do you guys understand? Now, when it comes to spiritual leadership, you're supposed to be blameless. And where does the blameless start? It says blameless, and what's the context of the verse? It's in the home. It's in your home life. Your children need to be in order. Now, here's the problem. You know what? I think there's some tensions between Michaela and Jake. Now, how high does this have to go before what's disqualification? The loss of respect. So how high does this, does this have to reach? Okay, these up here, this level now, this is full-blown fornication. Okay, you say, okay, that, now you cross the line. But for every person, it's a little bit different. Why does God use the word blameless? If you're going to have 45 parents trusting you with their kids and sending you with them to camp, and guess what? That means your driving needs to be blameless. Your discernment needs to be blameless. Your interaction with the opposite sex needs to be blameless. In church tonight, we talk about spiritual leadership. Setting things in order start in the home. And if the leader has not set his mind in order, his habits in order, his life in order, Satan's going to throw something else on that stack. You know what Satan wants to do? Your area of influence has grown. I want to make you no impact or low impact. Give me here for a minute, Jake. I'll give you one more object lesson. You know what my duty is? So here's Jake in his ministry. And I come by and say, Jake, love you. But there's something here that could affect the way people look at you and hurt their respect for you. You may not see it as dangerous. Obviously, if it's part of your life, you don't see it as dangerous. I don't want to help you. Because if you move this, it'll increase people's respect for you and make you more blameless. And if you leave it, here's what could happen. It could lead to another behavior that increases their concern and affects their respect. Spiritual leadership, put things in order. 